Thank you, Justin. What a beautiful prayer that is that we get to, to pray and sing that together. Um, well, good morning, Gateway. Thank you for being here today. It's great to have you. Um, Grady asked me some time ago if I'd consider preaching a sermon on engaging our community for the sake of the gospel. Um, it's, it's an issue I've been thinking about for a long time. We all know we're supposed to live sacrificially for the sake of the gospel, and I believe that we genuinely desire to do so. But it is hard, I think all of us would recognize it's so hard to actually make intentional, practical, daily decisions to sacrificially serve those around us for the glory of God. It's difficult to live out Jesus' command in Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine to love your neighbor as yourself. And this morning, I want us to explore the theology behind that simple yet very challenging command and consider whether we are actually doing this. Is the Church of Montgomery, are we here at Gateway Baptist Church, are we intentionally and sacrificially engaging our community for the glory of God? And I want you to know this is a sermon. Um, it's a collection of my thoughts. It's issues I've struggled with over the years, the areas in which I've had to repent. I submit this sermon to you not as one with everything figured out, but as a fellow sinner saved by grace, desiring to glorify God, yet often failing to do so. So I hope, I want you to see from Scripture the response required of those who genuinely believe in Jesus Christ being saved from the wrath of God by the mercy, grace, and love of God, what is the response that that creates in us? And it should be an intense desire and eagerness to sacrifice for the glory of God. And I just want us to consider, are our lives marked by this desire? All right, so let me pray for us, and then we'll get into the, to the sermon here. So Lord, I just uh, come to you now humbled by this opportunity, Father. I just pray that you could come, that you would fill me, Holy Spirit, that you would Um, Just help me to speak your words and not my own, Father. I just pray that you would help us to hear your word, be convicted by your word, be encouraged by your word, and to go forth and act on your word, Lord. We just ask for your help this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so the main idea that we're going to explore today is that genuine faith in Jesus Christ will create in us, one, an all-encompassing desire for the glory of God, and two, an eagerness to sacrifice for the glory of God. Okay, so that's the main idea, that genuine faith in Jesus Christ will create in us an all-encompassing desire for the glory of God and an eagerness to sacrifice for the glory of God. So first, very quickly, let me define one who has received the gospel, one who has genuine faith. Paul wonderfully and concisely defines the gospel in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. just going to read this for you. We've studied it. Grady did a wonderful Um, 50 weeks in in the book of Ephesians. We're not going to talk about this a lot, but this is what it looks like to be someone who believes in the gospel and is living it. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of, of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So the message of the gospel, what Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 is saying, is that there is one God, and he alone is holy and righteous. As his creation, we are accountable to him and him alone. 
We all have sinned. We have offended God. We have failed to love him with our whole selves, and we have failed to keep his commandments. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Accordingly, we all stand guilty before the one true God and are deserving of his wrath. We are all condemned to death. But God, in his wonderful grace, sent his son, Jesus Christ, to bear the punishment that we deserve. Through the work of Jesus Christ, we can now be in right standing before the, before the Father. And Jesus Christ alone are our sins forgiven. Not based on our works, but on the work of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. Okay? And it will produce in you an all-encompassing desire for the glory of God. So when we're talking about this today, we're talking about really our response to what Jesus Christ has already accomplished. And the gospel produces in us a response, okay? So this all-encompassing desire for the glory of God will produce in us an eagerness to sacrifice for the glory of God. So we're going to desire the glory of God, and there's going to be an eagerness to sacrifice for the glory of God. Ephesians 2.10, which we just read, it says that we were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which have been prepared for us to do by God himself. Okay, so your faith in Jesus Christ will compel you to good works. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 to 15. I'm going to be reading a lot of scriptures. I don't feel like you've got to turn to every one of these. It's probably good to write them down and go back and think on these verses, meditate on these verses. Uh, but 2 Corinthians 5, 14 to 15, it'll be on the screen. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. All right, we see this principle that Paul's talking about in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. We see this set forth in Romans 12, 1 as well. And Paul says there, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. We are to remember the mercy of God for us. We are to recall what he has done for us in Jesus Christ. Remember that you were once dead and deserving of eternal punishment, but you have been, you have been made alive and the grace and love of God has been lavished upon you. This remembrance should lead us to worship God. We should be worshiping God each and every day. And our worship of God is not limited to coming together on a Sunday morning and singing songs. That's a good thing, okay? We should do that. But it's not limited to that, okay? We are to worship God with our whole lives by offering our whole selves as living sacrifices. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So in response to the grace of God, we are to live our lives for the glory of God. And living our lives, this is what I want you guys to, to hear today, living our lives for the glory of God will cost us greatly in this world. Remember, before Jesus Christ saved us, we were enemies of his. We were opposed to him. Man's system, the world system, Montgomery's system is contrary to God's kingdom. In order to truly glorify God while on this earth, we must be willing to sacrifice all earthly things. Listen to what Jesus told the crowds that were following him. Um, and you might want to turn to Luke chapter 14. Um, we're going to be in verses 25 to 33. Again, it'll be on the screen. But listen to what Jesus tells the crowds that are coming after him and wanting to follow him. Uh, starting in verse 25, Now great crowds accompanied him, 
And he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Have we counted the cost of following Jesus Christ in Montgomery? These verses are literal. In order to be a follower of Jesus Christ, we must be willing to give up everything this world has to offer. Do we love God more than our spouses and children? That's something that we should think about. Uh, In our day-to-day, are our decisions guided by our desire to glorify God or by a desire to please ourselves and those around us? We must be willing to renounce everything in this world. We must be willing to give up our very lives to follow Jesus. There is no room for half measures. We cannot be disciples of Jesus Christ if we are not willing to do this. In the American church, in the Montgomery church, it seems that we have made an individual salvation about more than being saved from the wrath of God. It seems that we believe that becoming a follower of Jesus Christ entitles us to comfort and prosperity while on this earth. That by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, we now have a personal life coach and personal defender who is going to ensure our worldly prosperity, our health, and our happiness. It seems that we've come to believe that salvation from the wrath of the one true holy God is not good enough And we expect to also be saved from every inconvenience, threat, and pain of this fallen world. Church, that is a lie from Satan. Jesus did not die primarily for us and our comfort while on this earth. He died primarily for the glory of God, which is commonly obtained through our suffering on this earth. We are not still on this earth primarily so we can have a peaceful, pain-free existence. We are still on this earth to proclaim the glory of Jesus Christ, which may come through brokenness and death. Jesus could not have been more clear that in this world we will have suffering. Our time on this earth is not about avoiding suffering. It's about glorifying Jesus Christ. Our time on this earth is not primarily about marriage or raising children or education or sports or fulfilling careers or happiness. Those are all good things created by God for His glory but they aren't the end point. Our time on this earth is solely about glorifying Jesus Christ. And living for that purpose will absolutely lead us to suffering. It should be no surprise to us that following Jesus Christ will lead us to suffering. The world loves darkness and it hates light. The world loves being able to define for itself what is right and wrong and hates being under the authority of the one true sovereign God. Listen to John 3, 19 and 20. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. 
Listen to John chapter 15, verses 18 to 20. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world will love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Look at this picture from Scripture of a life lived for the glory of Jesus Christ in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 5-12, through 12, and verses 16-18. to 18. Here's Paul talking about his life, talking about what the Christian life looks like. And this is such a convicting passage for me that I, that I try to think about regularly. But here's Paul. It says, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Here we go. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Church, this way of life is not easy. The grace of God did not purchase you a long stay at a bed and breakfast to luxuriously live out the days of your life and then ease into heaven. Instead, the grace of God purchased you by the blood of Jesus Christ and entered you into a race that you are to run to win. We must live with great intentionality in order to live a life for the glory of Jesus Christ. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 to 27. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I, might, that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not, not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Church, we should be living our lives and pursuing Jesus Christ in the same ma manner an athlete trains and performs. 
We should be denying our flesh. We should be ruthlessly fighting the sinful desires in our heart. We should constantly be submitting ourselves to the Father. We should constantly be asking if our motivations are for the glory of God or for our own personal comfort. In 1 Corinthians 10.31, Paul wrote, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So everything down, all the way down, to whether we eat, what we drink, um, should be for the glory of God. Your every motivation, your every action, your every second, your every dollar, all things should be for the glory of God. Romans 14, 23 says, For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. All things must be done from faith. Everything we do, say, purchase, eat, drink, etc. should be done by faith for the glory of God. And of course, all of this work is accomplished by the grace of God. 1 Corinthians 15.10 says, But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. So by the grace of God, we are to work very hard and intentionally. And by the grace of God, he will be glorified in our lives. Paul worked very hard. He worked very intentionally and at great cost to himself. We should do likewise. The picture we see from Scripture is that followers of Jesus Christ do not arrive to heaven well-rested, satiated by the things of this world, and with large balances in their bank accounts. That was not the mark of a follower of Jesus Christ in biblical times. Instead, they arrived at heaven's door having given all they had, beaten, bloodied, bruised, and tired. Many were killed for their faith. They ran the race to win. They ran the race to inherit eternal rewards and not earthly riches. The life of a true follower of Jesus Christ is often marked by worldly suffering and sacrifice, but it is also full of the hope of eternal reward. Paul hinted at this in 1 Corinthians 9.25 when he says that we are running this race to receive an imperishable prize. He more explicitly stated it in 2 Corinthians 4, 17 to 18. We read a minute ago, but let me read these two verses again. Uh, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So whatever suffering you endure for the sake of Jesus Christ is not meaningless. It is preparing for you an eternal weight of glory that is beyond all comparison to the light momentary affliction we experience on this earth. And Paul's not making light of your suffering by call it light momentary affliction. Many of you have experienced incredible suffering. Paul is not trivializing your suffering. He's magnifying the reward that is Jesus Christ. So no matter the cost of following Jesus, he is worth it. If you lose your children, if you lose your spouse, if you lose your job, if you lose your health, if you lose your reputation or your house, that is light and momentary compared to the treasure of Jesus Christ and the eternal weight of glory being prepared for you. Romans 8.18 says, For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So fix your eyes on what you cannot see and fight against worrying and obsessing over what you can see. All things you can see right now 
will fade away. Every last thing you see, every last thing bringing you stress, every last thing bringing you pain, every last thing bringing you anxiety is going to fade away. And only spiritual things will remain. So Jesus sums up all of this with two simple commands, very familiar with them. This brings us back to Matthew 22, verses 36 to 39. And one of the, one of the people, one of the, the, the experts in the law says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus later, later added another commandment in John 13, 34, and 35. He says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. So what we've talked about now this morning is essentially the theological foundation of what community engagement looks like. Okay, These are things that I've been wrestling with, that I've been repenting to, that I've been studying, that I've been thinking about, that I've been praying about over the past few years. And then as I think about this, as we take this, it's easy to kind of look at this and say, yeah, that's great, Seth, that's wonderful, great theology, wonderful verses. But what I really want us to do is to think about, are we right here in Montgomery, Alabama, living this, okay? So I want us to now turn with this theology, I want us to look at some application in the city of Montgomery, and I want us to consider, are we, not just Gateway, I think Gateway does, does a good job with this, but are we as the church of Montgomery as a whole living like this? Do we truly love our neighbors as ourselves? Are we living our daily lives worried about the things we can see rather than, than rejoicing in what we can't see? Are we living as if Montgomery has more to offer us than heaven does? There is absolutely opportunity for us to glorify Jesus Christ in the city, but are we willing to embrace the suffering required to do so? Are we using our wealth to run to the poor and oppressed, or are we using our wealth to run away from them? If we're not careful, we'll begin to believe that our personal wealth, which which we have in our possession solely by the grace of God, is for our own comfort rather than the glory of Jesus Christ. So let's look at a couple of areas in our city that I believe we have the opportunity to live these scriptures to sacrifice for the sake of the gospel. All right, and the first one I want us to think about is the Montgomery public school system. So if you've lived in Montgomery for any length of time, you are very aware of the issues plaguing our school system. And let me say up front that I genuinely appreciate the work that the Montgomery public school system is trying to accomplish. There's some really great teachers and administrators in the MPS. We have some of you here in our church. There are some great families in the MPS, but overall, the public school system is suffering, to say the least. And of course, it's an area near to my heart, as many of you know. Megan and I, we lead Gateway's ministry to Capital Heights Middle School. We can't thank you enough for the way that you guys have gotten on board and supported that and served with us and given to that. It's been an awesome thing. We've been there. We just completed our eighth year. We've got some plans we're working on over the summer. Um, and, and the Lord has just grown in our hearts a love for these kids And it's just been a wonderful thing that you guys have have partnered with us in that. But let me give you some stats on Capital Heights Middle School to help you understand the gravity of the situation right here in our city. And Aaron, I don't know if you can put that infographic up so you can kind of see this. So um, this is something a friend of mine helped put together. And it's kind of a little bit difficult to read. But let me just go through some stats about the the Capital Heights Middle School. And on this first first screen here, um, this isn't on there. But Capital Heights is a Title I school. It's a federal program. They're operating a school-wide program, and and all that means is that at least 40% of the families in the Capital Heights Middle School School District are considered impoverished, 
Okay, Capitol Heights is a full-time social worker and a food bank stopped by, stocked by the Montgomery Area Food Bank. Um, 100% of the school, I think that says 81%, and, and now we are at 100% of the school is on the free lunch program where they get a free breakfast and lunch. Um, Capitol Heights is ranked 417th out of 423 middle schools in Alabama. It's in the bottom 6%. That's right here in our city, bottom 6%. Okay, Aaron, if you go to the next slide. So here are some stats that are um, just really alarming that are that break my heart. Um, so in reading proficiency, only 16% of 6th graders are, are proficient in reading. Only 12% of 7th graders are proficient, and only 8% of 8th graders are proficient in reading. If you look at the next little, little uh, graph there, in math proficiency, it's even worse. Only 12% of 6th graders, 8% of 7th graders, and only 2% of 8th graders are proficient in math. Right here in our city, 2% of 8th graders at this school are, are at a proficient level of math. Um, as, far, as far as the facilities goes, there's no central AC at Capitol Heights Middle School in Montgomery, Alabama. No central AC. The gym roof leaks. They put out these big old industrial-sized trash, trash cans to catch all the rainwater pouring in. This is where they play all their basketball games. Um, it's been documented in the Montgomery Advertiser that rat, at night rats run down the hall of the school setting off the motion sensor alarms. Um, facilities are terrible. The students lack basic necessities, and you guys have been awesome to help us do that, but coats, hats, gloves, underwear, deodorant, feminine products, shirts, pants, eyeglasses, we've, had, we've been able to help provide all of those things. Fighting and bullying is a massive problem in this school. Um, we heard a story of a kid that was dropped off at, at school every day by his mom, but he was not marked as, as present at the school, and they were trying to figure out what was going on. Turns out he was going into the school. He was going straight to the bathroom. He was getting up on top of the toilet and locking the stall door and sitting there all day because he was being bullied and beaten up every day. So he just started hiding. Um, there's a lack of parental involvement there. There is no PTA. So 587 students, no PTA. Um, this past year, this was awesome. Gateway was recognized as Capital Heights Middle School's Community Partner of the Year. And every year, the, the, the uh, public school system for every school, they have a community partner of the year and a parent of the year. Well, Capital Heights Middle School is only one of two schools in the whole city where there was no parent of the year recognized because there simply was not an option. Nobody was showing up to serve or to help. Um, the Coach Ken is a guy we've gotten to know really well. He coaches all the boys' sports at Capitol Heights, and he also coaches uh, the Lee High School football team. And he's told us a story about how he's got a lot of guys that come into the team. They've got talent. They've got ability. They've got everything they need to succeed at football. They love it, but they end up stop coming. They drop off the team because no one from their family will come and just watch them play football. So they say, what, what point is there if my family's not going to be there? So there's a lack of parental involvement there. There's a lack of family. And like I said, with your help, we've been able to meet many of the needs there and build relationships. And by doing so, by meeting those basic needs, it's presented us opportunities to present the gospel. We do so in our weekly Bible study. We're able to do so at the teachers and administrators' professional development days. And just in conversations with people around the school, it's wonderful. And that's great. And, and we want to celebrate that and, and, and be encouraged by that. But I think we can do more. I think we can give more of ourselves for the sake of the gospel. Remember, Jesus commanded us to love our neighbors as ourselves. And if one of our kids was in this school and leaving the school was not an option, what would we do? Would we be content with that? Would we do more than we are currently doing? And Meg and I talk about this all the time. I know I would. 
I would personally be doing more if my child was at that school and I had no option to take him to another school. So if we're going to think about loving our neighbors as ourselves here in the city of Montgomery, I think we've got to look at the school system and think about this. These kids are harassed and helpless. Meeting their basic needs will not save their souls, but it will create an opportunity to present the gospel to the school, the students, and their families. It will demonstrate the unconditional love of Jesus Christ. We have an opportunity on Wednesday, July 31st, to serve Capitol Heights. You'll be getting more details soon, but basically we're partnering with a city program, and uh, we're going to be the church to, to clean up the campus at Capitol Heights Middle School before the start of the school year. We're going to have pizza provided. We're going to go out there. We're going to pick up trash. We're going to put out pine straw. We're going to weed eat. And if you can't physically work, the deacons are putting teams together, so they're gonna, we're going to be organizing this. But the deacons are also going to just organize a prayer team. So if you just want to come out and just pray over the school, uh, the guidance counselor there at the school we've gotten to know says she's going to be there. She's going to have the school opened up, and we're just going to go pray over that school. So please put that on your calendars July 31st, and let's just go as a church bless them. And guys, this simple act will not fix the systemic problems with the public school system, but it will shine a light in the darkness. The school will know that we are there for the glory of Jesus Christ. Let's pray that the Lord will use this simple act to minister to the school, the students, the families, and that he would use it to change our hearts and open our eyes to those in need in our city. And another area that I want us to think about is the issue of crime and violence. So also, if you've been in Montgomery any time, you see it on the news all the time. We talk about it all the time. Crime and violence is an issue in this city. And of course, crime and violence are directly related to the state of the public schools. People unable to read and to do basic math don't have many options in this city. Children left to raise themselves who never experienced the love of Jesus Christ don't have a lot of hope. It should not be as surprising to us, but it should break our hearts, that children in such circumstances turn to the ways of this world to fill the voids in their hearts. Crime, violence, drugs, sex, all these things are prevalent in these communities. The violence and crime in this city is a result of people not following Jesus Christ which is, which is a result of them not hearing the gospel, which is a result of the church not going to them. You are God's plan for reaching the lost. You, the church, are God's plan for reaching the lost. It is no accident that you are in the city of Montgomery at this point in history. This is not a mistake. This is not chance. Listen to Acts 17, verses 26 and 27. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. You hear that? God himself determined the allotted periods in which you should live. So you being alive at this point in history is God's design. And then he has the boundaries of your dwelling place picked out. That's what the word of God says here. We have some friends who took Acts 17, 26 seriously. Our friends, they lived in East Montgomery in a small garden home. At the time, they had two little girls under three years of age and planned for more children, and they needed some extra space. Well, what would the typical Montgomerian thing be to do, right? A typical person living in Montgomery, they begin the process by asking, what do I want? The inquiry would focus on what would make me happy. The typical Montgomery would look at their finances and determine how big of a mortgage they could get approved for. They would research the schools and determine which school district they desire. They would look to surrounding cities to see if there were better options there. They would look to the various neighborhoods of Montgomery and try and determine which one would best suit their needs. They would look to the crime statistics and avoid areas of high crime. They would apply worldly logic 
and worldly logic alone. At the end of the day, they would purchase the most house they could afford and the best neighborhood they could afford and the best school district they could afford and the safest neighborhood they could afford. And they would not once ask the Lord for godly wisdom. But our friends wanted to live the principles we've talked about today. They are followers of Jesus Christ who have experienced the love and grace of Jesus Christ. And as an act of worship, they are offering themselves as living sacrifices. Our friends began the process not by asking, what do I want? But by asking the Lord, what would bring you the most glory? They've researched neighborhoods, schools, crime statistics, finances, and all those things through the lens of God's glory rather than their comfort and safety. They desired to live on mission right here in Montgomery. They wanted a place full of sick people because they know that the well don't need a doctor. They wanted a place that they could serve Jesus Christ and model a life of sacrifice to their children. They wanted to use their wealth to reach the poor rather than run away from the poor. As a result, after much prayer and seeking the Lord, our friends moved into a less-than-ideal neighborhood for a young family. The neighborhood they moved into is zoned for failing schools. It has regular crime. They hear gunshots, but they are living on mission. They are following after Jesus Christ. And our friend's decision was not without consequences. Shortly after they moved in, their storage shed in their backyard was broken into three times, and thousands of dollars of equipment was stolen. After clearing out the storage shed, the thieves came back, and in the middle of the day, they broke into our friend's house. The thieves took several items of monetary value, but also items of sentimental value. Our friends lost the only pictures they had of their oldest child's first one and a half years of her life. It was on their laptop, and they lost all that. So what would the typical response be in Montgomery, right? If that happened, it would be to run away. That would be the logical thing to do, right? we got to get out of here. This is, a, this is not a safe place. And most people would prioritize the safety of their family and move to a different neighborhood, and that would be understandable. But our friends don't want to be typical. They wanted to glorify Jesus Christ. They sought God before moving into their neighborhood. They believe the Lord called them to that neighborhood, and they know that they are in the will of God. They know that God loves them, and it is, it is his love that compels them to glorify God. It is this knowledge that gives them the confidence to suffer for the sake of Jesus Christ. They have counted the cost of following Jesus and laid their lives down at his feet. They are not afraid to join in the sufferings of Jesus because they believe that his grace is sufficient. They know that these light, momentary afflictions are nothing compared to the eternal weight of glory being prepared for them. Far from living in fear, our friends continue to invite their neighbors to pray with them. They host cookouts at their house to build community and get their know, to know their neighbors. They invite them over for dinner. They share the gospel with them. They are serving their community. And let me be clear, guys. This is just an example of what it might look like for someone to live for the glory of Jesus Christ in Montgomery. But let me be clear. I am not saying that you are in sin or you're not following Jesus Christ if you live in a safe neighborhood with great schools and no crime. It's not the point of that example. God leads people to all neighborhoods. The entire city of Montgomery needs the gospel. But the question I want you to wrestle with, why I share that story, is I want you to ask yourself, why do we live where we live? Did we seek God and his glory in deciding where we live, or did we follow the world system in deciding where we live? Is it inconceivable that God would call us to put ourselves and our families in harm's way for the sake of the gospel. The other thing I want us to consider is whether we are living intentionally in our neighborhoods to bless those around us. Are we striving to take the gospel to our neighbors? And this example came to Miss Barbara, Robbie's mom. She lives right next door to Megan and I. 
And every day, not every day, but regularly we come home from work, Miss Barbara, or we come home for lunch, Miss Barbara will be sitting out there with one of our neighbors who needs to know Jesus Christ on her porch, sharing the gospel, drinking some sweet tea. It's just such a beautiful picture of someone living intentionally for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And she is just demonstrating that to us and leading us in that. It's such a wonderful thing to see. But guys, God intends to bring salvation to this city through his church. Are we intentionally seeking to glorify God or are we drifting on the worldly cultural current that is so strong here in Montgomery? So in conclusion, I want you guys to understand the main point coming back to that. Genuine belief in the gospel will create in you an all-encompassing desire for the glory of God and an eagerness to sacrifice for the glory of God. God has established and empowered his church to be the means by which his grace flows to this city. We accomplish this by receiving the grace of God, and in response, we forsake the things of earth and live for eternal things. All right, if the praise and worship team would come, I'm going to pray for us, and uh, we'll close out here. But I want you guys to take this. I don't, um, I don't want this to be something that, that is producing in you guilt or shame. That's not the purpose in sharing these examples. I just want us as a, as a church to take this very clear theology, these very clear scriptures, and, and, and examine our own hearts, to use that scripture as a mirror and look at our own lives and see if, if our lives line up with these principles in scripture. All right? So I want you guys to remember it's the grace of God that called you into, into relationship with him, and it's by the grace of God that he will use you to bring glory to him in this city. Our part is living out that repentance of submitting ourselves wholly to Jesus Christ and trusting our good and loving Father. All right, so let me pray for you and we'll close out. Lord, we thank you for this day. I just thank you for the gift of your word. I thank you so much that you gave us that, Father, that your word addresses right where we are here in this city of Montgomery, Lord. And Lord, I confess, I have often been guilty of, um, of living this life for my own comfort, my own safety, my own self, rather than for your glory. And Lord, I just pray for all of us right now that you, Holy Spirit, would come, that you would bring conviction in our hearts, that you would lead us to repentance, that you would lead us to live as acts of worship, Lord, that we would submit our whole selves to you and watch you work in and through us to bring your glory through your church here in your city, Lord. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name.